kids, you are dismissed up to Grace Place. Uh, go ahead and go on up there. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, as Monica said, there should be one in a seat back in front of you. If you're using the seat back Bibles, I, look at, I believe you're looking for page 1001 uh, in the seat back Bibles. Thank you all for being here uh, and choosing to worship with us today. As you guys are turning there, uh, every week I like to thank different people who serve in our church, who help out in our church. Uh, and weekends like this, Easter weekend especially, is one of those times where uh, I get to thank a whole lot of people because a whole lot of people did a lot to make this weekend happen. Um, so everybody who helped out with the Good Friday service, everybody who participated in the Good Friday service, thank you very much. Um, everybody who was part of taking down and, and cleaning up after the Good Friday service and getting this place ready yesterday. There was a big group of people here um, getting this place ready. So thank you for everybody who was part of setting up. Um, uh, the Jackalones, Amy and Wayne, um, are actually not even in here to hear this thank you because they uh, selflessly gave up their time on Good Friday to take care of the kids, um, as well as this morning. They're watching uh, the kids in Grace Place so that uh, parents and volunteers could have the week off. And Amy, as usual, just went above and beyond to make sure everything this weekend happened uh, perfectly. So thank you uh, to them. Um, Mike Nicholson uh, has taken on the role of doing some maintenance around the church over the last couple of months. And uh, he has this whole checklist of things he wants to get done in the church, and he hasn't been able to touch any of it for like three weeks because I keep giving him all these little jobs to get ready for this weekend. Um, and again, went above and beyond to make sure this place was clean and looking good. So thank you, Mike. Um, everybody who brought food for the potluck, I know we all have a little bit of a food coma going on, so I promise we will keep this short. Um, the band put in a ton of extra work uh, for not only Good Friday, but also for this morning and extra practices. Thank you. Thank you for everybody. Thank you guys for being here. I love getting to be part of a community uh, where people just jump in and serve and make things run and make things happen uh, and want to serve and care for one another. So thank you, everybody. Um, all right. So this morning, as I said, we're going to be in Hebrews because today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate freedom. We celebrate life. We celebrate the greatness of the person and work of Jesus. We celebrate the supremacy of Jesus. We celebrate the reality that in every way, in every situation, in every endeavor, Jesus is greater. And this morning, we're going to have a chance to respond to that reality uh, today. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to jump in uh, to Hebrews. So please bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for another day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to celebrate you, to sing your praises, to be together uh, in fellowship uh, because of you. God, you who sent your son Jesus into this world to suffer and die and rise again for the sake of us, Lord, we thank you. Help us to experience and rest in the power of the resurrection, not only today, not only on Easter, but every day. In our lives on a daily basis, let us find our joy, our strength, our rest in the power and work of Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection. And Lord, this morning, um, as we gather together, as your children gather together around the world, God, we lift up our brothers and sisters in parts of the world, even this morning where we have seen bombings and attacks on your church. God, we know that even on today, on a day where we celebrate the resurrection, that even in the face of violence and fear, we know that you are in control, we know that you will win, and that your church will never be defeated. God, we thank you and we praise you, and we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. 
Amen. All right, so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read. Uh, we're going to start right at Hebrews 1. Uh, I'm going to read, and then we will go back and talk about it. So you can follow along in your Bibles, or the words will be on the screen uh, as well. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So we're going to focus really this morning on the first four verses of Hebrews, but I wanted to give you that full context, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But we start right in verse 1. The writer of Hebrew tells us that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We learn that God speaks. God has been speaking. God has spoken, and he continues to speak. Because Christianity is not about a vague spirit. It is not about a set of unattached rules and regulations or an absent or man-made figurehead. It is about a real God who really speaks, who communicates with us in real and understandable and tangible ways. It says that he spoke to the prophets. Prophets were men and women who God appointed, charged them to speak the word of God unapologetically to the people. And we can learn still today through their words, through their lives that have been recorded in the Old Testament for us. But then the writer goes on and he says, but in these final days, he has spoken to us in his son, Jesus. The gospel of John describes Jesus as the word of God made flesh and dwelling among us. In the passage we read, if you look at verse three, it says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God in the flesh. What we are to know and believe and understand about who God is can be known and believed and understood by looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? You want to know how God would do things in this world? You look at Jesus because when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God in the flesh. The writer says, in these last days, you might be saying, man, in the Bible they were talking about last days and here we are 2,000 years later. That's a lot of last days. And it is. And what he means by that is that there is no act three. When it comes to God speaking, this is it. He can't get any clearer. 
There is no missing third piece. God showed up on earth. He lived and engaged and was part of this world. There is no more clearer revelation than in the person. There's no more clear revelation of who God is than in the person and work of Jesus. He is greater than anything and anyone who has ever come before or anything or anyone who will ever come after. Jesus is greater. And we see that proven. The writer wants to emphasize that in verse 3. And then later on in verse 13, he says that Jesus is sitting down. He's sitting down in a place of glory. His enemies will be made his footstool. He sits in a place at the right hand of the Father in a place of glory. Think about a day that you had of of good physical labor, a good day where you just were physically exhausted. Whether that's your just normal nine to five or, you know, you have that friend who still won't call a mover and you had to help them move. Or, you know, spring has finally decided to show up in Chicago three weeks into April and you had a good day out in the yard doing yard work and cleaning and planting. By the end of that day, what are you looking forward to? You're looking forward to a shower And to go to that spot in your home and sit and rest. The day is done. The work is completed. There's nothing left to do but sit and bask in the glory and sit and bask in the work that has been completed. Jesus now currently sits in his rightful place of glory because the work is done. Sin and death and the grave have all been defeated in the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing left for him to do but to sit on his throne in glory until that day when he returns to establish his kingdom. Jesus is greater. He is greater than, the, he is greater than anything that has ever happened. The death at the cross, the resurrection from that tomb, prove, declare his greatness to the world. And all throughout this first chapter of Hebrews, it's why I wanted to read the whole first chapter, and really the whole book of Hebrews asks over and over again, the writer is basically making comparisons, giving us these rhetorical questions of who is on the same level of Jesus? Who really can match Jesus? And the answer over and over again is no one. Nothing is on his level. Not the great prophets of the Old Testament, not even the angels in heaven can lay claim to being the Son of God. Verse 8 says that Jesus will have a throne forever. Verse 9 says he will be anointed beyond companions. Verse 10, he laid the foundation of the world. No one else can say any of that because no one else, nothing else is like Jesus. He is greater. He is the full and complete revelation of God because he is God. His life, death, burial and resurrection is greater than anything that has come before or since. He is greater than everything, which means he is greater than our goodness. He is greater than our good. That's the first point I want us to look at this morning. Yes, that was just the introduction. We're going to be here. It says in verse 2 that he was appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything is his. He is the heir of all things, which means all things belong to him. They are all his personal possession. He is over and in control of all things. Anything that has ever existed throughout all of time belongs to Jesus. He created the world. He was there in the beginning, creating, forming. He made it all. 
It says he upholds the universe by the power of his word. If you go back to Genesis 1, how does creation happen? God speaks and creation happens. In the same way, Jesus' word has the ability, power, and authority to sustain or end all of existence. If you grew up in church, you could say it this way. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Good luck getting that out of your heads today. (laughs) All of this happens. All of this exists and continues because of him. By the grace and authority of Jesus, the breath in your lungs is a gift Every time your head hits the pillow at night and you are able to open your eyes the next morning, it is only because it is a gift and grace that Jesus allows it. He is greater than everything because he is the owner of everything. He is the creator and sustainer of all existence. And that reality, the fact that Christ is in control and holds dominion and is in control of all things, that reality flies in direct conflict with our natural instincts and the culture that we live in. Because our culture will tell you that you are the most important thing going today. Your thoughts, your opinions, your beliefs are the highest, most important thing possible. Regardless of how your thoughts or opinions affect or offend other people, no one can tell you that you are wrong. No one can tell you you are wrong about politics or religion or who your identity is or whether or not you can put fruit on a pizza. You can't. You are a self, the world wants to tell you that you are a self-sufficient, independent island of awesome. And the reality is you have value. You do. You are, you have value just by being a human. You have value built into you, but you have value because you were made in the image and likeness of God. He made you. Your value comes by being a, being created in the image and likeness of God. This concept of you being this self-sustaining gift to the world is in direct contrast to what we just read about the role and character of Jesus. Because all exist, if all existence boils down to you, Jesus isn't really in control. But all existence doesn't boil down to you because Jesus is in control. He is the creator, sustainer, and ruler of everything. By his word, his grace, his power and authority, everything happens. His greatness supersedes anything that you can offer, anything that you can do, anything, because anything that you can offer, any goodness that you have, any gifts that you have, anything that you say is mine was given to you as a gift by Jesus. It is grace from him, which means your impressiveness, this idea that if you can just outweigh your good with your bad, that somehow you're going to win your way to heaven. Your impressiveness that you think that you're going to store up enough good works, you're going to be nice enough and serve enough that you're going to somehow impress God and win your way in, that he's going to meet you one day and say, wow, that was great, come on in. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense when you actually go into the Bible because that way of thinking ultimately means you have control and Jesus doesn't. That way of thinking flies directly into the face of the gospel, the very reason we are here this morning celebrating the resurrection. Because that way of thinking really says, Jesus, thanks for the cross, thanks for the suffering, but it wasn't enough. 
There's still something I needed to contribute. My goodness was needed here, so step aside. I got this. Jesus is greater than your goodness. His death and resurrection is greater than your goodness. He is greater than your good works. He is greater than your niceness. He is greater than your service. He is greater than whatever good, whatever nice, whatever you think you are storing up, he supersedes it all. Now, don't hear me say, just go out and do whatever you want. Serve. Do good. Love one another. Care for the world around you. But realize those things will not save you. They should be an outpouring and an overflowing of the experiencing the grace and love of God. They will not save you. They can't save you. We're not good enough. On our own, we are not good enough. God demands perfection. That's the line in the sand he draws. God demands perfection. I don't care how good you are. You aren't perfect because there's only been one. And we hung him on a tree to die. He died. His greatness, his perfection supersedes our goodness. And thank God that it does. Because it means we don't have to worry about trying to be good enough. We don't have to worry about whether or not God likes us. We don't have to worry about if we have earned his favor or if we have impressed him enough. You can't impress God on your own. Jesus has taken care of all of that. He is the heir of all things. He is the one who sustains and keeps all things. He is the one who sits at the Father's right hand, his enemies a footstool underneath him. His work is done and completed. His greatness is enough. In fact, it is more than enough. Jesus is greater than your goodness, and he is greater than your sin. Jesus is greater than our sin. It says in the second half of verse 3, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sins. Sin, that word is literally to miss the mark. When you are aiming at a target and you miss. It's what I do regularly in darts on a golf course. And even when I'm just trying to throw a piece of paper into a garbage can from afar. You aim for a target and you miss. Well, God says perfection is the target you are aiming for. And every time we miss, every time we are outside the character and likeness of God, we have missed that mark. We have sinned. Whether that's an intentional direct rebellion where you know the right thing, but instead you choose to do the wrong and evil thing, or when you have the ability to do the right thing and you just choose not to act whether it is a sin of commission where you choose intentionally evil or a sin of omission, failing to do what you know is right, regardless, it's sin and it erodes and it destroys and it poisons the very well of your soul. It is the reason that our relationship with God has been severed. It is the reason the world is broken and hard. It is the reason for death and pain and suffering. It is the reason evil exists in this world. It is the reason why around the world this morning, on the other side of the world this morning, bombs went off in churches and 200 200 Christians have gone to meet Jesus this morning. Because evil exists, because sin is real. And all of it boils down to saying, I know better than God. My way is better than God's way. And I'm going to do it my way. When we sin, we are really saying, God, I don't trust you in this situation. So I'm going to do what I believe is right. God, I don't believe that your way is going to satisfy me. 
So I'm going to satisfy me however I see fit. We choose our way over God's way time and time again. We decide we know better than the one who created and sustains and rules over all existence. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. And we can do nothing on our own to repair that. But Jesus can. And Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross to make purification for our sins. He took what was wrecked by sin and he made it pure. He cleaned it. He cleansed it. He made it right. And if you look at the way he says it in verse 3, it says, after making purification for sins, after making, the work of purifying your sins is totally finished. It is important you understand this. It's already happened. The writer doesn't say Jesus is currently making purification for your sins. He's not saying he will make purification for your sins. It says he made purification for your sins and then he sat down because it was over. He did the one thing. He did the thing he needed to do. He died on the cross and rose again and now he sits because the work is done. The enthronement of Christ sitting in his throne in glory is an honor and a tribute to the work and the finishedness of that work at the cross. The Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It happened in the past. Christ died long ago, but continues to bear fruit in our lives going forward into the future. And what it means is that every sin, as Paul said it, he knew he took on all sin. It means every sin from Adam and Eve in the garden, biting that fruit and starting all of this mess. Every sin up to the cross, even as he hung there and they hurled insults at him. Every sin that has been committed since the cross to right in this very moment. And every sin that you and I will ever make between now and when we meet Jesus again. Every sin on him was laid. And he took the punishment and he wiped it clean. Every one of them. He cleaned it and cleansed it and washed it and got rid of it. There is no wickedness that mankind can come up with now that can overcome the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is greater. He is greater than every sin, than any sin. His death, his purification for our sins cleanses that poisoned well in our soul. The Bible says we have been washed clean. The Bible says that if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are washed clean. It is like when fresh fallen snow has hit the ground. We all know what that's like. It happened a week ago. (laughs) There is no restriction between the believer and God. Nothing hindering that relationship. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus and Christ alone for your salvation, not Jesus plus your good works, not Jesus plus your church attendance, not Jesus plus your niceness, not Jesus plus anything else, Faith alone in Christ alone. If you have put your faith there, God sees when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You will not be perfect on this side of existence, but Jesus was and is. He purified. He washed away our sin. He took on the punishment our sin deserves. You want to start a war with a perfect and holy God? You want to rebel against him? There's going to be a punishment. That's what sin demands. 
And our holy and good creator sent his son and he came to die in our place for that. He paid the price. He takes our debt that we owe to sin and wipes it clean and then leads us into an abundant spiritual life. Jesus says, I have come so that they might have life and life abundant, life in excess, life overflowing. That's what Christ is offering. You cannot outsin God's grace. You cannot outsin the love of God. You cannot outsin Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. There is no way that you can do something that the cross didn't cover, that the resurrection doesn't have power over. Jesus is greater than your sin, which means you don't have to carry the weight and the shame and the guilt of your sin. Those things are forgiven. Are forgiven. They are handled and done. His work one time at the cross is complete and done, and now Jesus sits enthroned in glory. If you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you need to hear, know, sit in, dwell on the fact that your identity is not the sins that you have committed, and your identity is not the sins that have been committed against you. That's not who you are. If you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter. That's who you are to him. That's how he sees you. That's, what, that's how he loves you, with an unconditional love that a good father has for his kids. And that happens because of Jesus' death at the cross, his resurrection, because Jesus is greater than sin. He is greater than your goodness. He is greater than your works. He is greater than your impressiveness. Whatever you think you are going to lean on on Judgment Day, Jesus is greater. And he's also greater than your wickedness. He's greater than your sin. He's greater than the deepest, worst thing you've ever done that you keep buried deep down in your soul that you want no one to ever know about. God sees it. God knows it. Jesus died for it. And he has forgiven it because Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than everything. Can you go to the next slide? Keep going. See, you can fill in the blank with anything you want. Jesus is greater. It doesn't matter what you put in that blank. There is nothing and no one that is greater than Jesus. Anything this world has to offer, he's greater than it. There is nothing and no one more supreme. That's why we're here to celebrate. That's why we remember and we dwell on what he went through. And that's what we need to dwell on and cling to, that when we look, even though the world may look like it is pure chaos right now, though it may seem like evil is winning, Jesus is greater, and he proved that in his death and resurrection. Because even though it looked like evil had won, Jesus was dead Darkness reigned. The disciples were scattered. It looked dark and ugly on that third day. Just like he said it was going to happen, the stone was rolled away. The grave was empty, and Jesus was alive because Jesus is greater. Let that reality sink in. Let it wash over you and convict you and do what it has been doing for centuries. Do not continue to keep letting yourself live into the lie that you will truly be satisfied by anything or anyone other than the maker, sustainer, and conqueror and ruler that is Jesus Christ. I pray that today is that day for you. Let today be that day, that day that you look back on weeks or months or years from now that you can point to and say, that's where the change happened. That's when my life truly began. That's when I experienced freedom because Jesus brings freedom.
freedom. So that means confessing and turning away from your goodness because Jesus is greater than your good. Admit that, yeah, you might believe that you are going to be able to save you on your own. Admit that and then realize you can't satisfy. You can't save yourself. Turn away from that and confess that to God. Stop trying to earn and impress and act as if you have everything together and instead rest in the reality that Jesus has done the work and is offering you the gift of grace. He is offering you forgiveness. He is offering you new life. Not to be earned or won, but to be accepted as the gift that it is. It also means today, confess and turn from your sin. Turn from your, your rebellion, from your wickedness. Turn from your choice to do things your way instead of God's way. Instead of trying to find satisfaction and completeness and identity anywhere and everywhere else, instead, allow the God who is greater to be greater in your life. I said at the top that we're going to have a chance to respond this morning, and that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to ask you in a minute to close your eyes and bow your heads and do that just to give us some time to just be a little bit of privacy and a little bit of peace of your heart and mind. So why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud, line by line, that expresses faith in the grace of God. If today is that day for you, if today is the day you are ready to admit Jesus is greater and you want to let him be greater in your life, that you are willing to accept the grace that he is offering, the forgiveness of sins that he is offering, you can pray this prayer in your heart right now today and accept the forgiveness of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. There is no pressure. I'm not trying to coerce anyone. I just want to give you an opportunity to experience what it's like to step into and live into being a son or daughter of God. So I'm going to pray. And like I said, you can just pray this in your heart silently. God, this morning, on this Easter, I admit I need you. I confess my sin to you. I confess my self-righteousness to you. Lord, I'm tired of it and I need you. God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I thank you for that great love. I believe it is through Jesus alone that I can be saved. God, I choose to trust in the greatness of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. I want everybody to keep their eyes closed, keep their heads down. Like I said, this is about giving everyone a little privacy, a little stillness, quietness in your heart. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to know that God hears that prayer and he answers that prayer 100% of the time. And the beautiful thing about becoming a child of God is that you are entering into a family, into a community. You get to be part of something bigger than yourself and you don't have to do life on your own. What we say around here is that Christianity is a team sport. 
We get to walk together. And so if this morning is that day for you, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to be able to follow up with you. I'd love to be able to help walk alongside you and welcome you into either this community or find a church community for you. But um, right now what I want is everybody keep your eyes closed, your heads down. If you prayed that prayer this morning, can you just look up at me? Hey, you're a son of God. Hey, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You're a son of God. Today gets to be that day for a bunch of people. That day where you get to look back on and say, God stepped into my life and I became his child. Heavenly Father, you are good. There's none like you. No, not one. There's nothing bigger. There's nothing greater. There is nothing more awesome than you. God, we thank you for today. Not just today. We thank you for tomorrow. We thank you for the day after. We thank you that every day, every day that you give us, every day that you give us the gift of another day, Lord, I, I pray that we remember, that we dwell on, that we rest in, the truth that Jesus is greater, that the gospel saves, that Jesus saves us and gives us new life, life abundant, that you are for us and not against us. God, I pray that, Lord, as we go into the world, that we are emboldened by the fact that we know that our God is for us, that our God is greater than anything this world can throw at us. Lord, you call us to be lights in the world. You call us to be those who point others to you. So, Lord, give us the boldness and the power and the strength to be that light in the world that you have called us to be. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.